Hey, John. Hi, Dan Benjamin. How are you? I'm well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. How's everything? What'd you do for New Year's? Uh, nothing. Zero. Just chill. Just kick back. Laid back. I did that. Laid back. Sipping on gin and juice, <laughs> except with no gin. <laughs> Just juice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, was uh, I was sitting there, and I heard some explosions, and I was like, hmm, I wonder what that is. And then I looked down at my phone, and I said, oh, it's midnight. Whee! There you go. That, that's what I did. Nothing wrong with that. I think you get to a certain point where the idea of going, standing outside somewhere where it's really cold with a bunch of people who are really, really drunk kind of loses its allure. It really does. Yeah. It really do, don't it? Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of fireworks in my life, as you can probably imagine. And um, I've been around a lot of drunks. And New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve, my, my favorite holiday as a kid was 4th of July. Mm. And I think that's different. I think a lot of kids probably prefer Halloween. And certainly I loved Halloween. But Fourth of July was was always top for me because of the um, explosions, uh, and then New Year's Eve was was very exciting because we um, well it had explosions also, but uh, but you know it's in that crazy it's in that crazy time when you're not in school and you're just hunkered down. It's a wild kind of ride as a kid yeah but from the time i was probably 16 17 years old new year's eve became a total bummer every time Uh, always maybe not a coincidence but but it felt like it felt going in that every new year's eve had the potential to be amazing and then i would come out the other side of it just super bummed because of the whole business of you're going to kiss somebody at at midnight and that's going to be a big that's going to be some big moment for you both Mm. and uh when midnight came i was always not just seemed year after year after year i was always either standing there while the person i wanted to kiss kissed somebody else Mm -hmm. or uh the person i wanted to kiss um, something, some, some bad tiding befell me year after year until I just wanted as far away from New Year's Eve as I could be. And then I had a band and suddenly there was this option that I could play. I could be the band on the stage at the show on New Year's Eve and for five glorious years, New Year's Eve was amazing. Yeah. Because I was the I was on stage and I didn't have to worry about kissing or being kissed. I was the one that could lead the countdown and we could launch into all Lang Syne or <laughs> or this is the New Year by Death Cab or whatever we decided we were gonna play at twelve oh one. And um it was wonderful. It was wonderful to be to be in the band. And then after after the long winter stopped like headlining New Year's Eve, uh 
uh, I went, I went back to, I mean, I guess as a grown up, I was able to say, I don't want any part of it. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, New Year's Eve is a thing. I feel like you should be, you should spend alone sitting, staring at your hands, wondering, <laughs> wondering how you got here. Like that should be the, uh, that should be your, 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 uh, your method. And my sister and I had a great long conversation last night that felt like a New Year's Eve conversation that was very much like, how did we get here? Oh yeah. Where do we go from here? Yeah. Well, how did you spend your New Year's Eve? Um, I, it, I would say it was n- no different in any way than any other night of any week of any month of any year. <laughs> with with the exception it sort of snowed a little bit and it didn't stick we had snow that stuck and actually was enough to make snowballs a couple weeks ago but just a very light little flurry thing happened and i looked out the window and made a mental note that it was the second time that i've seen snow in the you know maybe six years maybe third time that i've seen snow in the six years i've been here wow and uh then you know watched some tv and went to bed pretty eventful pretty exciting same thing i did last night same thing i did Mm -hmm. six months ago (laughs) grown-up grown-up stuff yeah we did not do sparklers the kids didn't do anything i said happy new year to the kids in the morning that uh was the first day of the new year that was a little bit different because usually i don't say happy new year to them when i wake up in the morning just on another day but I know I've never been a big New Year's person because the whole the whole conceit that the New Year is supposed to be something different or that it brings some great promise or that somehow this is supposed to make me feel less pessimistic about humanity as a whole or something. It just it doesn't really like what's the big deal? It's no different. Like we we have a calendar that we use that that helps us coordinate our activities, I guess, originally based around the crops and preparing for the cold months when we'd have to start saving our Pimacon or whatever up in the cave. So we don't have to really do that anymore. So the difference, whether the, the I have it set to AC or heat is really the only thing that is different, you know, throughout the year in my house. <laughs> I feel the same way about night and day. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Dan, do you remember your first kiss? Oh, yeah, definitely. What was your first kiss? Uh, it was at summer camp. I was seven or eight. Uh, her name was Elizabeth. If you're listening, hey. Uh, Hi, Elizabeth. She was uh, very pretty, had uh, blonde hair and blue eyes, and... um. I think it was some kind of dare or something like that. Oh, you know, dare, maybe yeah. maybe I had dared her or she had dared me. I don't think there was a third party involved. I think it was just between <laughs> us. Uh, and then after we kissed, I think we found that we we liked it, and so we were then you know boyfriend and girlfriend. And oh, you were going out. We were yeah, we were going steady, Ooh. and you know which which meant sometimes we would hold hands. Sure. And that's that, you know, so that was, uh, but that was in summer camp out somewhere outside of Philadelphia. Did you get razzed for that by the, by the boy children? Yes. Uh, but I, I didn't care. 
because oh, I always had it in my mind that I I didn't care what the other guys said. I like girls, you know. I liked them mm-hmm. a lot. Awesome. So awesome. It the fact that they're like, oh, you're sitting with a girl, and the f-, I'm like, yes, I am, and that's mm-hmm. quite all right by me. Yeah. So you can, yeah, you know, Dan. whatever the seven year old equivalent of, and you can go to hell was is what I said to them. Because do you remember your first romantic kiss? Um. Yeah, it was all right. I wasn't that into yeah. her. <coughs> I see. That's probably part of it. Yeah. I mean, she was well, she what, was pretty. It's just not my type. She had like a pretty and pink thing going. I wasn't into it. Did Did you have Did you have a girlfriend in junior high? I mean, did you have girlfriends all the way through? Or oh yeah, I uh, had a, a oh, junior high. Probably not. Um, high school definitely. Starting, I think, with you know, like late ninth, early tenth grade. I pretty much had a girlfriend at all times since then. Uh, and was it like long-term girlfriends or just sort of like it? Uh, I would say it was it was always long-term relatively speaking to what long-term meant in the given state of affairs at the time. So like a long-term girlfriend in junior year of high school was like a couple months. That would be long-term. But the answer would be yes. There was never – there was a – Almost no time where I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't. I, I was sort of a um, serial monogamist kind of like I, I never went out on like little dates. I never dated anyone that I wasn't interested in having whatever I would have defined as a long term relationship with. So like if I, I never went out on just like didn't go out on just a date like I never went on a date. Like if I if I liked a girl and I thought there was potential then I might ask her out on a date or we might go out on a date. And then, but the, the, the assumption in my mind was already that I wanted to, I wanted her to be my girlfriend going into it. It wasn't right. Like I liked just testing it out. No, it wasn't like, Oh, she's kind of hot. I'll go out with her. It was like, Oh, she's hot, but I've talked to her and I like her. And I think maybe there's a spark there. Let's, let's see where this thing goes. Mm -hmm. Let's develop Mm -hmm. this into a straight up legit relationship now. And, and when the, those relationships ended, did you feel like like a heavy heartbreak or were you pretty sanguine about it? Uh, heavy heartbreak only with one of them. Only with one of them. And most of the time then a relationship would end for whatever reason and it wasn't long before you were in another relationship. Yeah, pretty much. Because, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't really like playing the whole playing the field thing like just going out but i did i did enjoy alone time i mean there were times where i i spent time with where i wasn't in doing any dating anyone just getting mm-hmm. you know getting a getting my mind right or getting to know myself or whatever you know oh, important yeah. soul searching stuff that you uh-huh. would do in college uh-huh. you know like trying uh-huh. to listen to the doors listening to the doors and getting baked on your sofa and finding yourself you know important stuff yeah. like that yeah that's where you'll find yourself yeah. right there that's where i that's where i was but sad you were like this I, were, I i cried you, i'm sure i cried tears real tears i'm sure you, i thought i sure i like, turned it i turned it into anger you know Sure. Like I remember something else. I remember one time with my uh, steel toe combat boots uh, destroying something in a hallway in, in the back area of a shopping mall. Mm. You know, the, the typical teenage angst stuff. Mm. 
And it was because you felt like um, there was like a world of possibility that was closed to you or because what what was happening inside your heart that losing this girl or, well, I mean, or the I, opportunity you know, to be together? Yeah, I just I think I I think I just uh, yeah, I think that was probably it. I mean, it's hard. This is a long time ago, but I, I think I felt a sense of like, well, you know, she didn't feel the same way that I felt about her and this, that, this really sucks. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there could have really been something there, but you know, who knows? I was probably 17, 16, right. 17. I don't know. But I, uh, I got over it and moved on with my life, pick, pick myself up <laughs> and, mo- <laughs> and moved on. And, uh, you know, well, John, we must uh, take a break for our first sponsor. This is a new sponsor, and um, I want to talk to you about this one because I think this is Yay. this is something that's special, special for you. A new, a new sponsor that is special for you, a special for me sponsor. Yeah. So uh, you may you may have heard of the company Beachbody. These are the beach beach Beachbody. Beach Body, because I think I think the term is referring to the ideal human form that you want to parade around on a beach. You're in shape. I see a beach body. A beach body. Like you're fit, you know, you're ripped, you're swole, and you're on the beach, uh-huh. you see? Uh-huh. So not not the, I saw the Russian guy that with the rolling the ball around on him. And you yeah, said but you he had, was in a circus, not, a, not on a beach. That is different. You're right. That's my bad. I spent uh, quite a bit of time uh, last year on the beach at uh, Venice, California. So, uh, and that's where Muscle Beach is. So, I right. have a sense of what a beach body. Is. Okay, so this is the this is then you're going to be right. I think tuned into what this is all about. So, beach body on demand. When I first heard this, I thought what it meant was you get a beach body and you get it like on demand. Like I want it now. Now you have it. That would be killer. That would be cool. This is the next best thing. And what this is, is uh, it's an on the on demand part refers to the fact that you can watch this stuff whenever you want. You're watching it on demand. Uh, you're watching beach bodies. You're watching. Well, beach body. What they do is there. It's an isn't online. That, isn't that just a description of the internet. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Um, it's this is basically. I, I don't know if they'll allow me to say this or not. I'll, I'll hear, I'll get an email if, if they don't. It's like Netflix for fitness. So it's an online fitness streaming service where you get unlimited access to a wide variety of workouts personalized to meet your needs. But here's the thing. I know a number of people who have done these workouts. One person, I'll say his first name. He does not listen to the show. His name is Carl. Carl. He did the people have heard of P90X. You ever heard of P90X? Yeah. Okay. I've seen the uh, I've seen the uh, infomercials. Yes, this the same people they now but you don't have to like call in and get a CD any or DVD anymore. It's all online. But they're all oh. updated. They're all new. So my friend did this P90. Now before he did it, he he's still a computer programmer, but he was the typical uh computer programmer who spent so much time in front of the computer. He he uh He'd lost any muscle tone he ever had. He was soft. He was round. He did was, he grow a neck beard? He did not have a neck beard. Somehow he uh, avoided that. But he was yeah. just a cuddly, round, roly-poly uh, man. Uh, uh-huh. 
and he did P90. He's like, I'm going to do the P90X. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, good luck to you. But he did it, and I, I'm not making this up. It com- He looks like a completely different human being. And it did not take him. That's the weird part. It did not take him very long to do that. Now, I, I also understand that he... Uh, he changed his eating. He stopped eating at uh, steak and shake twice a day, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. he started working and this like completely changed him. He's, he does not look like the same human being. And by the way, he's like 50 years old. It's not like he's like a 25 where you can lose weight overnight. He's our age and he did this. And this is the thing you get all of these classes on demand so you can pick what you want they also have one that's called p p o p i y o i don't know what that one is they got 21 day fix they got the t25 they got yoga on there they got all of this stuff on there mm-hmm. and uh and they also have it, 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 nutritional content i think this is what he used uh so that you're you reach the i think the peak of what your personal potential is physically you get to do this but the classes are really cool I've watched a bunch of these. I'm thinking about starting one also for myself. And you know what? Now, like, wait a minute. Let me let me just interject there. Go ahead, call. You're not you're not yet doing Beachbody, but you've watched a bunch of them. Yeah, I wanted to. That, well, when the sponsor when the sponsor came on, I had to know what I'm talking about. Well, you don't want me oh, to oh, do I an see. informed ad. No, no, no. I now I now I understand. It just seemed like yeah, oh, like yeah, like for entertainment watching, purposes. I'm just watching yeah. the. <laughs> You got a subscription to it just because right, you like watching right. people work out. Hey, uh, honey, grab the popcorn. I'm going to put P90X on. I'm going to watch uh, episode four of it. Mm-hmm. Look at those guys working out. Shouldn't we do that? No. Uh, so I watched a bunch of these, and I and and they even have one like for what you can do with your kids, all this stuff. These things are really great, and this is the thing: you can watch it on your computer, you can watch it on your, you know, if you have one of those fancy smart TVs, you watch it on your tablet. They have an app. I put the app on uh, the Apple TV. They've also got one for um, Amazon, but I did the Apple TV one. And so now you get an app just like your Netflix app or your HBO app where you can go in and watch all of this stuff. But they have it. This is the thing. It's for all fitness levels. Uh, Cardio, weight training, yoga, low impact. They even have a dance one that my little girl is doing now, but they have over 600 workouts. And you're going to find something that I think will meet whatever your goal is. Maybe you want to lose some weight. Maybe you're good weight. You just want to get into shape. So this is the thing. Uh, they're offering a free trial membership. Um, and, and this is, this is an interesting thing. I, I think this is a holdover from the, the uh, infomercial days because normally yeah. I would be giving people a website, but they're not about a website. You can go to the website, but that's not how this works. So this is the thing you have to tech. I know it's, it's a little weird. We're used yeah, to websites. I'm following though. You text the word roadwork. You text this to yeah. 303030. I, 30, I, 30, 30. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not claiming to understand this. I don't know why you text. I don't know why it's not a website, but you know what? It doesn't matter. You're going to get full access to the whole platform for free. You get the, the, the free trial membership. Roadwork one all all one word no spaces thirty 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 you text 30, 30, 30. which doesn't sound like a phone number no 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 but I understand how that whole texting things I don't know how works. that works well it's just a way it's a thing it's it just, works. that's a thing so anyway that's what you do to get in there but John I want you to do this I want to do a class I want each of us to do 
one of these and compare our results. Would you be up for that? Would you be willing to try it? Even if it's yoga, we could do yoga together. Uh, I don't want to do yoga. Uh, wait a minute. Maybe I do. I don't know. I figured uh, yoga would be the you, most you are like suggesting, laying you are down. You suggesting that I do uh, a, a workout. Yes. We have a new advertiser and that I that I do a workout from them. Yes. And, and, um, and continue doing the workout over time so that it has an effect on me. Yes. And we can check in every month. Once a month, we'll check in. And see where you're at. Have you reached a new fitness goals and you have or because my understanding from a previous show that we've done together, you you claim to be very, very strong already, even without working out. Like if I were to like I'm deadlifting like 260, 270 now, I feel like you could walk up and that's your warm up weight. That's that's how many you know, you're doing 10 reps of that. If you were uh, deadlifting 270, I would then be able also to lift you. While I'm dead. I would just, I would just, you'd just deadlift <laughs> right. it and then I would, I'd come up and pick you up too. That's and right. And throw you both in a river. That's, that's right. So I don't However, know if, if there's strength, if strength is what you want, how limber are you? Are you, are you flexible? Can you, do you bend? Do you stretch? Are you sore? Well, I can, I can go into a full lotus. Okay. However, yeah. However, I cannot touch my toes, so it's a different kind of limber. I'm limber one way, but not the other. Uh, but my problem is cardiovascularly. All right, you tire I easily. Need, I need more uh, energy. I need more zip, and so I am not in good shape right now. It, and it isn't a question of being strong. It's a question of like being uh, having. Uh, what would you uh, stamina? Yeah, uh, I need to. I need to get like some kind of of uh, regular like thing where my pulse goes up and I'm perspiring and I'm <laughs> breathing hard. <laughs> well, they have those. They have that. I don't know which one yeah. that would be, but I will. Do you want me to pick the one that I think would be most appropriate for you, or do you want to pick it? Well, I, as you sit and describe all of the different, like, T-1000. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah the Terminator uh, one. The right. new Terminator. Uh, at your, you know, you're like, uh, it's too confusing for me. There are too many options. Some people love a lot of options. Yeah. And they'll probably use a lot of different, uh, they'll watch a lot of different shows. They'll do yogas on Mondays, Wednesdays, mm. and they'll do T-1000s on Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, but for me, like, I just want the simp. I want a simple program that is, um, you know, that's like, that's simple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, the 10 minute workouts are so intense that, uh, that they're just, ex- you know, they're excruciating to look at, right? When you're on one side of a 10 minute workout, you're like, <laughs> oh boy, I know what it feels like to get to the other side of it, but I just don't want to climb that mountain all the time, but I could do them, you know, I could do bursty things, but you know, like something that lasted a half an hour that was, sure, you know, that was uh, easy to do and didn't require a lot of, you know, I didn't, it was, didn't involve having a speed bag in the house. Right. No, I think a lot of these are designed that you don't need anything. You can just do this, turn the TV on and, or put your iPad up or whatever and just go, I'll pick one. Now that I know what your requirements are, I'll pick one of these. I'm looking at the page now on a beach body on demand. I will pick one of these and then we'll do it. And then in a month we'll check in because I think they're sponsoring again next month. We'll check in and we'll see 
you know, maybe you're going to do, you know, uh, shift job or a 21 day fix extreme or, you know, T25 or something. Look at this one. Mm-hmm. The, no time to work out. Now you can get an hour's result in just 25 minutes. That's 25 minutes. That's all you got to do. So may, I'll find well, see, something. That's what I want. I, mean, I think that might be it, the T25. Anyway, I'll, I'll figure it out. But that's so, listen, I'm going to tell the people this one more time. All right. uh, t- you got to text the word road work to 30, 30, 30. And then you'll get all of that, all the workouts, all the nutritional information, everything. And I will tweet out which one we decide on. And it'll be like working out with John. Uh, okay. Everyone can right. do this along. They'll go along with it and they'll see where they get if you do it. Oh, geez. All right. Well, stick, you know, stay away from my house, but yeah. All right. Okay. I'm, I see, I need this. So I'm willing to do this. All right. I'll do it with you. We'll do it along. We'll do it together. Hmm. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's a thing that I'm a little dubious of, but all right. All right. Well, you'll okay. be doing it and I'll be doing it. It'll be like we're doing it at the same time. Yeah, but even that I'm not so sure about. But yes, all right. I will take on a thing. <laughs> all right. So thanks. Take on a project. Thanks very much to Beachbody On Demand. Roadwork text to 303030. And uh, we'll check in back and see how you're doing. Yeah. All right. Good. All right. You know, I was a teen precisely at the... Um, the epicenter of 80s teen sex comedy. Yeah. It's going to say. If you, if you Google 80s teen sex comedy, <laughs> or really even teen sex comedy, because it right. was not a thing that existed before the 80s. Right. And it didn't really survive into the 90s. But during the 80s, there were probably at least a dozen what we would call classic teen sex comedies, including Pretty in Pink and, right. and Breakfast Club, which is, I mean, Breakfast Club is a teen drama. Right. But, but it's, I mean, it's the, the undertone of sex is there. Yeah. Sex comedy. And then the, the then, mu- all the John Cusack movies like Better Off Dead and. That's right. Yeah. And the Sure Thing. Yeah. And, uh, and like, I mean, just so many of them. And a lot of them were, a lot of them had, um, Mrs. Robinson themes and a lot of them had <laughs> Lolita themes and there right. were all the gross ones like Porky's one, two, th- oh, Porky's yeah. one through seven, but also <laughs> I thought Porky's like, was amazing. It was the best, best movie ever. It was a, well, a godsend. You're a, little, you're a little younger than I am, yeah. you know, but, but also great ones like fast times at Ridgemont high. Oh, yeah. And they're all, they're all. So my teen years were spent going to the movies in an era when I think now that would be considered really inappropriate oh, yeah. content for teens. Um, people would be, a, would be aghast. And I think it was considered that in the nineties, but in the eighties, uh, we still, maybe the eighties were the peak era of the seventies too, of thinking that children were more sophisticated than they were. Mm. Anyway, so for sure, Dan, it was a um, talking about you uh, and your high school girlfriends. I can only do it in the context of a <laughs> 80s teen sex comedy <laughs> right. lexicon. And it was very it was very much a, a comedy, too, I think. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, you think it's 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 funny looking back on it at the time. I don't I think it was serious to me. Well, sure. 
But looking sure, back, that, like nothing, nothing that happened was that serious. Like in, in life. Wonderful thing about growing up, right? Mm-hmm. The ability to look back and say, oh, boy, I, I was, uh, I was ready to, I was ready to throw down on every one of these little twists and turns of life. But it turns out it was all just a, it was all just a game. It was all some kind of, I mean, you know, that's what makes teenage suicide so tragic. Yeah. It's like, oh man, none of that. None of that even was that important, you know? (laughs) No, it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter at all. What about you? I mean, do you remember first kiss, first romantic kiss, loss of virginity? Yeah, but my life was, uh, uh, it wasn't just that I was being a teenage uh, dramatist. I I didn't I didn't uh, interact very easily with other kids from the time I was about mm, four. Is it because you were more ma- more mature than them? Mm, it's hard to know. But from about four to thirty four, I couldn't quite unlock this. I couldn't unlock. I definitely could unlock other people. I just couldn't unlock them um, in in certain ways, in ways that were like uh, intimate. And I think it was that I was um, it was very hard to be intimate with me in the ways that other people found natural, or the people were compelled to be intimate with one another. I didn't have, and it's not that I was afraid of intimacy. It's not that I was incapable of it. I just couldn't figure out the, I couldn't figure out the pattern. And I think uh, in my life, I've watched a lot of people uh, do a thing that I definitely did, which is in trying to figure out something that is not, not an intellectual process, um, uh, people leap ahead, right? They make assumptions about what other people are going to do and what other people are uh, are trying, or what their what their goals are, and so they leap ahead of the of that, trying to um, trying to anticipate moves and get out there and and not be taken by surprise and not not ride the thing in real time, but be ready and and in a way kind of game game it so that they don't lose. And in almost every situation, you know, life is just a series of tumbling random events and momentary zigs and zags. You cannot, none of us are actually smart enough or, or gifted enough to be that far out in front of an interaction with somebody else. Right. You know, you can, you can imagine if you're a psychopath that you are, that you're working people and twisting them and, and getting them to do your, your, uh, you're, you're the puppet master or whatever, but you're wrong. You're just being evil and there's no intimacy there. It's not like you're in a relationship with them. You're just trying to manipulate them. Mm -hmm. But if you're, if you genuinely want to be in a relationship with other people, you can't also be saying to yourself, well, you know, they probably don't want this. They probably do want this. And so I'm going to like present myself in this way because I feel like that's going to make them feel better about, 
the decision down the road that we're going to come to when this happens. And you're just, it's just, you're fucking everything up. Um, and you think you're doing it to save people's feelings. You think you're doing it to save your own feelings. And definitely I spent many, many years <clears throat> in what seemed to me to be a very, my intentions were benign or they were, um, you know, my, I, I intended to, I was trying to help. I was trying to help them. I was trying to help myself and I was, it was just a, <clears throat> it's a bad way of interacting with people. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the line, pretty late in life, I had to surrender to the idea that I could not know what was going to happen. I did not understand people well enough to help them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and all I could do was do what I was going to do and let the chips fall. Um, but I, you know, <clears throat> in terms of like interacting with other people and certainly like romantically interacting with other people, I just, my, uh, my teenage years were a, uh, a total, like it was like napalm all over everything. Hmm. And that extended well, well, well into my twenties. I think by the time I was 30, 30, 31, there was a very real, um, <clears throat> a very real possibility in my life that I was going to just give it up. Not life. I was going to, I was doing life things and I was, I was building my, my music career and I was. <clears throat> well, give up, give up what human, human interaction or interaction with women or what? Ro what do you yeah. Romantic, rom a romantic life or a, uh, or a hope for a romantic life. I was, I was prepared. I think in my thirties, I thought about it a lot. I, um, and it, it, it gave me a lot of pain to think about, but the, the alternative seemed to be even worse pain. And, uh, you know, I, my mom and I had a, to me, a kind of famous life changing conversation where she said, look, other people are just pain and it breaks my heart to watch you keep trying. Um, I just want you to know that in my opinion, you should leave them behind and go, you know, head off to your higher plane because other people are only misery. And I said, <clears throat> mom, I'm like 32 years old. I cannot abandon other people or, or, or at least like romantic love. I can't abandon all hope of it. Mm -hmm. That just seems insane. I mean, I, I know that you're, I know that your goal for me is to be like someone who can shoot laser beams out of their eyes, but I feel <laughs> like that would be, that would be, um, <clears throat> an abdication of my human responsibility to, you know, to, I mean, to unlock this puzzle in, in this world that, you know, that she kind of considers base. It's like, oh yeah, people down there in the mud having sex with each other, whatever. Like leave it behind, and I and I 
you know, I felt kind of like having a kid that it was a, that it was a human experience that I couldn't just, um, I couldn't decide wasn't worthy of me without ever having actually engaged in it in a way where I didn't feel that I didn't come out the other side, just like drenched in shame. And so I didn't, you know, 30, my early thirties, I was like, no, I'm not gonna be, I'm not going to head in the direction that I think in prior eras, I would have become a paladin. Uh, you know, I would have adopted a monastic, uh, like self abnegating, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of personal relationship to others. And I would have gone internally and been a wanderer, you know, or just Mm -hmm. like a, someone that lived in the, on the, in the rocks. Um, and there, there, when I think of like human beings, I, I think of outsiders as having a place in the, in the ark, right? I mean, there, there are reasons we are like we are and identity and your place kind of in the social structure, like it's meaningful. It's not just, um, you know, you don't have people who have remarkable talents, but incredible obstacles in their life for no reason. You have, you have those skills and those obstacles because you fit into the, you fit into the human story somehow. And people that live way, way out on the, the bleeding edge of, of, where human beings are like there, there's a reason that they're there. They're doing something there. And uh, until very recently, there was always wild land. There was always the edge of civilization. And we've kind of just in the last hundred years explored for the most part, most of the habitable places. There are people everywhere now. So it's harder to be on the frontier although there are still people up in Alaska and out in the, out in South America who are on, who are living that way. Right. And that's what I was, what I imagined I was meant to do to be someone who came to town sometimes. Yeah. You kind of mentioned that the, the, the guy up in the hills, the guy up in the cave sort of, and you, you need your supplies periodically and you come and get them. And Yeah. But you're, and, I mean, and, you're, you couldn't really, you couldn't be further from that right now. I mean, you could be, yeah. you could live in like downtown Manhattan or something, but that's only slightly more integrated into the world than you are. It's true. It's true. And, and that happened as a result of those decisions I made in my early thirties to not, um, <clears throat> to, to not like actively choose that path. It wasn't just that, that I was passively kind of surrendering to failure. I stood at a kind of crossroads where I deliberated with actively going out. And it was one of the major motivations of walking alone from Amsterdam to Istanbul. Like that's not a normal choice to make. No. 
And <clears throat> I wasn't making it at, in a eat, pray, love way where I was like, I'm going to go find my chakras or whatever. Uh, I was, I was, I intentionally picked a thing where I could not have really any kind of lasting, meaningful interaction with anybody because I was, if I walked into their town in the night, I was in the evening, I was walking out of their town in the morning. Um, so all of my exchanges with other people were brief and intense. Um, but, but I was practicing this kind of paladin uh, internal trip and, um, you know, and it hurt, it hurt me. It broke me. Not just, I mean, the walking didn't hurt me. You can walk all day. It doesn't require any special training. I mean, I walked that entire distance, um, given, given the circuitous route that I took about 3000 kilometers, I walked it basically living on fruit juice and chocolate bars and cigarettes. Like I didn't even eat granola. Really? I had, there was no part of it that was, <clears throat> that I considered to be like sports. It was, I would just walk into a, whatever, if in the parts of Europe where there were stores, I would go into stores. When I got to parts of Europe where there weren't stores, I would hook or buy crooked. There are always, you can always buy cigarettes. But if I, if I could, I would eat a schnitzel, <laughs> um, or some bread and ham because schnitzel is the food of Europe. It's the official schnitzel and sausage are the official foods of all countries of Europe. But if I couldn't find a schnitzel or an egg, I would just eat a, I would just eat sugar garbage. So it doesn't, it doesn't cost anything really the walking. It almost broke me because of the aloneness. Mm. Just six months of, of six months of just talking to myself. Right. Talking to yourself being in some case, I would imagine surrounded by other people who you either can't communicate with or don't, or, mm -hmm. you know, that would seem very isolating to me. Watching their, you know, as you're, cause walking is slow. So you can see families interacting with one another and walk past, walk through a village where most of the people in the village will never live anywhere but the village. Right. And you just get the feeling of like, here it is. This is a human organism. This village is a form of cellular life and everyone here has a purpose and that guy's the village clown and that guy's the village prig. And you know, those two have that, that husband and wife knew each other when they were six. And then you walk out the other side and you're like, Hmm, that was an, a real glimpse of a thing. And to them, I just seem like a shooting star or a, I mean, I don't know what I was a leaf on a river. Yeah. Um, they'd never seen me before and then they looked at me and then they never saw me again. But that affected that decision-making process in my early 30s of like, okay, if I had not done that exaggerated uh, Paladin Academy and had just remained in the city kind of in bands and going to work uh, and had instead of that instead of looking at it really hard, 
just sort of looked at it as like, well, I'm not going to ask anybody out anymore. I'm not going to accept any invitations to make out anymore. It just doesn't pan out for me. You know, you could kind of find yourself sliding into a thing where now at my age, I would effectively be alone without ever having spent that concentrated time getting to know the voices in my head and Mm -hmm. deciding that I didn't like them either. Right? Like being alone did not solve my problem because I met a lot of people on that trip that lived inside my head and I didn't like any of them. Right. There wasn't a single, there's not a single friend in there. There are some funny people. There are some people with pretty weird ideas. I mean, there are a lot of interesting people in there, but no friends. So when my mom and I had that conversation and it was a conversation that lasted months, uh, I said, there's not, that's not the solution. And kind of, and had to come to that conclusion of like, don't think that you're smarter than other people in, in terms of how, how to be in relationships with them. You know, if somebody says they want to kiss you, take them at their word. That's what they say. So don't think to yourself like, well, do they really want to kiss me? Or are they, <laughs> is this some, is this some plot? <laughs> you know, yeah. just take people at their word and super hard to do <clears throat> actually for, for someone like me. And I have found for a lot of people okay, I'll kiss you. I'll kiss them. But what that means is that X, Y, and Z. And it doesn't necessarily, it just, they just said they want to kiss you. And as long as they say they want to kiss you, kiss them. If you want to kiss them, let the chips fall. You know, you don't know what's going to happen six months or six weeks or six hours later. Um, and it involves a lot of kind of following other people's lead for me. Like, all right, what next? And you arrive all the time at places with people where they're like, I don't know, what's next for you? And you go, hmm, well, I don't know. But that's a place. That's a place to be. John, our next sponsor is uh, Casper. Oh, good old Casper. They, they make mattresses. Uh, they make a classic, the original Casper mattress. They also make one called the Wave and one called the what? essential. Yeah, did you know that? Yeah, they they knew, do new ones now. When did these come out? Not, I don't think that long ago. The Wave features a special support system that is supposed to mirror the natural shape of your body, and the essential has a streamlined design uh, that's at a very very effective price. These are new. They also do pillows now. They do sheets. Uh-huh. But I have a Casper mattress, and I was just talking to a friend of mine at lunch who uh, has moved to a new house, and he just told me that he's trying to get a Casper now. That's his bed of choice because uh-huh. he's, he's on a little bit of a budget, but he doesn't want to compromise the comfort and the good night's sleep. Now, my understanding is that once you're asleep, John, you personally, that it's very hard to rouse you from, from that deep state. Is that true? Well, I, I sleep on a Casper mattress every night. Is that why you're sleeping so deeply? Uh, I very much have uh, developed a very uh, a, like a 
a, a positive relationship with my Casper mattress. Mm. So, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time uh, pursuing sleep in my in my <laughs> delightful bed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you, um, this is the thing. A lot of people say, "I don't know if I'm comfortable ordering a mattress from an internet website." What if I don't like it? And that seems like a reasonable concern. Well, here's the way Casper works. Uh, you're going to be sure of your purchase because you get 100 nights to try it. Risk-free. It's, it's what they call a sleep on it trial. 100 nights. 100 nights. 100 nights. That's uh, a third of a year almost, isn't it? 100 nights is, a, is almost a third of a year. You yeah. get to try it. They send it to your house. You open it up. You start sleeping on it, 99 nights, you still get an extra night. Even after that, you just to decide. And then you can say, you know what? <laughs> I, I don't want to return this. I like it so much. I couldn't, couldn't think of going back. 99 nights. 99. Well, it's 100. Wow. But I think not. Well, I know. But I mean, think about 99 nights. I though. know. What could you yeah. do on that mattress at 99 nights, you know? 99 nights. That's, uh, yeah, that's more than three months. It is. So- you know, and you spend Slightly more than a quarter of a year. You spend a third of your life sleeping, so you want it to be comfortable. They have created this so that you are going to be comfortable. It supports you in the right places, and they use memory foams. They have a whole mixture of things inside of this. No one knows it's in there, and you don't. It you don't need to all know. of the duties of a mattress. <laughs> all of them complete. That's right. <laughs> the difference being that you don't have to go to a department store and spend uh, like what seems like a ludicrous amount of money. Right. The amount of money that you used to be able to buy a used Dodge Dart for. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you would ha- you would spend like <laughs> more than the cost of a Dodge Dart to get a mattress right. at, a, at a department store where there were like predatory salespeople who were like, hey, what does it take to get you into some kind of pillow top weird thing? And right. now it just shows up on your porch in like a surprisingly small box that seems like almost the size of a box that would contain a dorm room refrigerator. Right. Right. And you pop it open and pow, it's like a bed is there. Yeah. It's very impressive. And the best part is it's designed, developed and assembled all right here in uh, our great United States. So there's that too. It's not a foreign product. It's all, it's local in a way it's local to somebody. Wait, it's American made? Designed, developed, and assembled all here. What? Yeah. So free shipping, free returns to the US and Canada. They're even letting the Canadians have it now. And they have a special URL. If you want $50 towards select mattresses, you can visit casper.com slash roadwork and use the code roadwork when you check out. And I have to say terms and conditions apply, whatever that means. I said it. So we're compliant. Uh, but go check it out casper.com slash roadwork. Thank you very much to Casper for making this show possible. Thank you, Casper. I don't have you and I talked about the fact that I've realized that I don't have a plan. Um, I mean, I think, I think so indirectly, but I, I don't think you said it that way. And I would like to kind of hear more of what you're thinking. I don't, <clears throat> I don't have a plan. I've never had a plan. When I think back, a plan in, in the sense of like, yes, one day I will, for example, 
I will get married and I'll get a good job and I'll buy a house. I'll get married. I'll have, you know, three kids and then we'll do this kind of vacation, that kind of plan. Is that what you mean? Or a plan is in, this is what I'm doing tomorrow. Both. Right. Like I don't have any plan and don't really make plans. Things show up in my calendar. I put people say, will you do this? And I say, yes. And I put it in my calendar. And then when I look at a week, I go, oh, I got to do that. But in terms of integrating those things into any kind of plan, um, by the end of this month, I'm going to X or 2018 is going to be the year that I do X, Y, and Z. Or my goal for myself is to PDQ. I've just never done, I've never approached my own life that way. And when I was a kid, you know, you adults put all kinds of whammies on kids. Uh, and they really did back when I was a kid. Big, big whammies. For adults example. were giving you whammies all the time. Well, just, I mean, the number one whammy you can give to a kid is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. They start asking you that when you're six. What do you want to be when you grow up? And kids are like, I don't know, a fireman or a teacher or a... I mean, kids don't even know what a lawyer is, but I think I started saying lawyer <laughs> somewhere around eight years old because that's what my dad was. Um, but, you know, to ask that of a kid, it's just an adult <clears throat> whammy. Adults don't know what else to say to kids. We're just like, what, what's your favorite superhero? Um, but so I understood that adults, that were, they were asking that question because it was meaningful and so I started it pretty young to f- formulate an answer, like I think most kids do. Give them a satisfying answer. Say fireman up to a point where you start to see your upper middle class adults kind of look, kind of wince at fireman <clears throat> because fireman is a blue collar job. And that's not the culture that you live in. So then you, then you change your job because it's like, oh, fireman doesn't win me any accolades like it once did. Because you know, a six-year-old that wants to be a fireman is charming. Sixteen-year-old that wants to be a far- fireman, at least in my culture, is like, really? <laughs> and so somewhere around eight, I switched to lawyer. And boy, that satisfied a lot of people for a long time. <clears throat> and whether or not I wanted to be a lawyer, who knows? I didn't pursue being a lawyer. I just said it. Like, and and, and maybe in your mind, it seemed like it would be kind of cool. Well, sure. I mean, being a lawyer, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I didn't, but I imagined like, oh, sure, I'll be a lawyer and I'll also be a circus juggler. I'll be a lion tamer. I probably will be a fireman in addition to being an astronaut. None of that was real to me, and I just figured that it all would happen. It, and, and that's how I've lived my whole life. I just figured that it's going to happen. Whatever happens, happens. Um, except in romantic exchanges with people. Mm-hmm. It's the one place where I did not have a whatever happens, happens attitude. And it's not that I had a plan. I didn't see somebody across a crowded dance floor and say, one day she will be mine. Um, but I didn't, you know, once I was engaged with somebody that I, that I felt that energy with, I, 
at least in the small scale, was always trying to think about what they really wanted. And that, it, I guess it's not quite a plan, but it isn't, it isn't just letting it ride either. What do they really want? Because I couldn't accept that they wanted me uncomplicatedly. Mm-hmm. They had to. And I think that's a, something that was, that was taken from me as a teenager. Or, or I mean, it, it was taken from me a long time before I was a teenager. But I think a lot of teenagers are just like, she said she wants me. Yahoo! <laughs> I want her. Yeah. There, it, it hasn't, ent- there, there, there didn't enter into it yet the idea that, that people would have ulterior motives. But f- for me, definitely, the idea of ulterior motives was very familiar to me by the time I was, I mean, long time before it should have been. I recognized that adults operated with ulterior motives and so assumed that kids did too. But in my thirties, I did, I, I finally said, and a lot of it was a lot of it felt a little bit callous at the time because what I had to say to myself was you're no longer going to shoulder the burden of other people's, um, Of, uh, of other people's happiness in the sense that it's not your responsibility to make them happy, to ensure either that their, that their ulterior plan is successful or to um, work against their ulterior plan while also not making them sad. I mean, that was always the, that was always what fucked me up was I wanted, I didn't want what I imagined their ulterior motive to succeed because I always imagined that that motive was to capture and domesticate me. But I also didn't want them to be sad. Mm-hmm. You, so well, you I, didn't I want lo- the responsibility for that, right? It sounds well, like. In general, I want people to be happy. And so I wanted people that were close to me to be happy. I just didn't want to be captured and domesticated. And I wanted to be with them but I assumed that they wanted to capture and domesticate me whether they did or not. I have no idea. And, and in most cases I felt like, well, even if they're not conscious of it, they, they do. That's the only point of this. You know, a relationship is nothing if not a plan. That's what it is. Because if you're just hanging out with somebody, that's not a relationship. As soon as you enter into a relationship that, I mean, all the language around it is like, okay, what are we doing? Are we getting serious? What is this? And that's all the language of plans. And plans in that format to me were, okay, what are you going to stop doing that's going to make this work? What are you going to stop doing and what are you going to start doing? How are you going to trade? And and what what I always considered like, trade down mm-hmm. in order to make this um, in order to start making plans together. And I think a lot of the people that I was with didn't think of it as trading down. They thought of it as trading up. You don't have to be alone anymore. Now we can start making plans. You don't have to be so rootless. We can start making plans. And all of that just sounded like, no, 
no, I don't want that. But I didn't want to be disappointing and I wanted to still be with them that day because the day before things had been so great. And now we were talking about this and I, I didn't want, I didn't want to make that transition. So I started to try and solve that problem. How do I not do that, that they want me to and keep and make them continue to be happy and to continue to be happy myself. And it just didn't, it just didn't work. So in my thirties, I said, I'm not going to try to make them happy. That would, that was my solution to it because I still don't want to make plans. Um, and the problem seems to be when I get out in front of it and imagine I know what they want and imagine what, you know, and start to try and solve for X. And so I, that was the, that was the beginning of me saying, well, I don't really want to make plans. And then they would get cross or they would get frustrated, but they wouldn't leave as a result of it because they now had a problem to solve. I was the problem to solve. They were trying to solve for X and I just kept reminding myself, that's not my responsibility. You told them what you told, you continue to tell them who you are and if they don't want to believe you, just as you have never believed them, um, then that's that, that's their burden to shoulder. If they imagine that they, that, that I have an ulterior motive, that what right. I actually want is to be together, but I am, but I am telling them something that, that isn't true or that I'm not, I, I'm not self-aware enough to know. Um, and honestly, a lot that introduced a lot of relief into my life because although I could see people being unhappy, I could see people feeling that I was being obstinate or obstructionist or, uh, intransigent. I wasn't because I didn't, I wasn't standing in front of something I actually wanted and saying, no, mm-hmm. I was saying exactly what I what I thought I was and trying to represent myself accurately. Uh, so from my mid thirties to now, it's not that I've had a bunch of like what would be conventionally considered like totally successful (laughs) relationships. I've had a, I've had a bunch of relationships that also were three legged dogs, but I stopped feeling like the only option for me was to be a paladin and started feeling like what maybe a like a compromised priest or a a compromised priest like like um no that's a bad example because there's so much about that that is creepy and there's nothing about me that's creepy uh, what did I start to think? You know, I'm not the, I'm not a townsperson, nor am I a farmer. Um, but I'm not a rancher. <laughs> I'm closer to a trapper or gold panner, except as you say, I'm living in the town. And, um, I mean, you're way more in the town even than I'm in the town. Yeah, right. 
I'm I'm right in the town, but I'm not is but I'm not a gambler. Like I'm not I'm not a dude in shiny boots who's down at the uh, down at the saloon all day trying to make a living off of cards. Like I I sort of I avoid the saloon. I avoid the church. In a way, you know, I'm the guy that's kind of sitting around the sheriff's office with his feet up on the desks, but he's not a he's not a deputy. I just like go down there, talk to the sheriff. But that's not it either. Like I honestly cannot find in the archetype of a 1950s western movie exactly what person in the western town I am. I'm there though. I don't know. I think I would be played by William Holden. <laughs> well, like it's almost like um I mean like you're almost like a like a like a drifter. Except you stay put. Well, but I don't. And I think drifter is 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 right. I mean, you know, maybe I'm Shane. Um, I definitely, when I was a kid and watched Western movies, I never identified with the hero, nor did I identify with the villain. I identified with Jughead. Um, I wasn't Archie. I wasn't Reggie. I was Jughead. I was the like strangely, I thought of myself as the strangely wise, but also a little bit aloof above it all. Like Jughead didn't care about Betty or Veronica. He wanted hamburgers. Right. And hamburger, but Jughead wasn't obese. Hamburgers were just a, um, hamburgers were a proxy for Jughead. They represented something else, a lack of privation. Jughead had, was seeking a kind of bounty, an emotional bounty that he recognized that, all of this like competition and destruction that, that Archie and Reggie wreaked and all of the, the plotting and conspiracy of Betty and Veronica, Jughead just, he could talk to anybody. And in all those Western movies, there was always a hired gun, right? A guy who showed up with a shotgun instead of a 30, 30 repeater. Mm-hmm. And he had a, he had a, a lot of times he's the one with the coolest hat. <laughs> you know, the, the marshal's got a hat and it's appropriate for marshalling. Right. Um, it looks cool. It looks, there's a formality to it. Mm-hmm. The bad guy's got a hat and it's either if he's a rich bad guy who wants to run the railroad through the center of town, then it's, then the hat is too stiff, too clean. And something about it is like, Something in its pristineness is evil. <laughs> or the bad guy's got a real character hat. And usually it's the bad guy's, you know, his henchman like Mongo, who's got some kind of crazy 10-gallon hat. But then the the drifter who signs on with the marshal, he's got the coolest hat. You can't quite zero in on what's cool about it, but it's just, um, 
It just conveys that insouciance. And the drifter signs on, and in a lot of ways, he's the most valuable member of the team. His shotgun comes in handy three or four different times, and he's got the best quips. But at the end, when the smoke clears, he doesn't want, he didn't do it for the farm. He didn't do it for the, for the barmaid. He didn't do it even for the sheriff, really. He did it because of a code. And with a smile, he gets on his horse and he rides out of town. And in the course of the movie, it's not, you know, he's not Han Solo, but Han Solo is in the Star Wars pantheon, the closest thing to him. Yeah. That was always who I identified with. And I think within our contemporary world where I am inside the town, I'm actually not. I go from town to town. It's just all connected now. And so it seems like I'm always here. I'm here every week. But really, like, I'm moving from place to place. And anytime I get somewhere where people say, he's here, like, clear a clear a spot for him. Like we've got 40 acres and a mule waiting for you right here inside of our city limits. I take a pass. I don't belong anywhere, but it's not a, but I'm not a paladin because I do. Why is that? Why don't you feel like, I mean, physically for the most part, you could say you've, you've settled down. You own a home on the outskirts of Seattle. Yeah. Where there's no cafe anywhere near me. I have no regular cafe. And I, that used to be a big part of my life. I lived in Seattle and I had a regular cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would go there every day. And for a while was kind of living as a townsperson. But I wasn't looking for, I wasn't looking to pair off with anybody. I wasn't looking to, because I've, I've, I have, I've been a member of dozens of communities, the adventure sports friends I have and the graphic artist friends I have and the rock and roll friends and the, the college teacher friends and the, and now in recent years, like the nerd culture friends and the smart comedians friends and my internet podcast friends. And in, in many of those cases, like they themselves comprise a community they are friends with one another and I am their friend for sure. But always the, um, always the one that everybody learns is going to, is going to miss the yearly meeting or is, you know, is not going to be there all the time. And I think that's what it is. Everybody learns that I'm not going to be there all the time and they end up doing a lot of things together because they're their primary people and my primary people are, I mean, that's always my family with a, with a few exceptions. I have a few friends who are also outsiders who remain kind of like constants with me, but they're, but they don't want to see me very often either. (laughs) And I wouldn't call us a community. What I mean, what is it that 
why why is there this pushback inside of you still today about this like why do you feel that you can't or don't want i shouldn't say can't why do you feel like you don't have that feeling because for you to go from your life as it is right now to feeling like you are part of the community from from the outside perspective it would seem like uh it would seem like you are for example you're king neptune i don't know how you could be more involved in a city than than to become sort of the king of the city you know what i'm saying like like from the out you're you're like well known in saddle saddle's third sexiest man or something like that of 2005 2005 like i i don't have any of these credentials and i consider myself very much in austin you know and and i'm way less involved in austin than you are in seattle like by leagues less and that that makes me think that it's an it's an internal feeling it has nothing to do with your actions it has nothing to do with your proximity to a regular cafe, but it has everything to do with how you, the state of mind that you're in or how you feel about, about it. Because if you were just to list all of the things that you do in, in Seattle, the King Neptune stuff, the, you know, running the soup kitchens or whatever, people would say, wow, he's deeply entrenched in this community and if you were to ask the people i would suggest maybe there's people in seattle listening right now who could comment on this if you were to say to them would you say that john is part of this community is he active in the community does he does he belong here i my suggestion would be to say they would say enthusiastically yes and not only that but he is the community here he represents the best of what this community has to offer here in Seattle. And I can think of very few other people, perhaps other than the people who are in elected office who represent it even more. And by the way, as a demonstration, the fact that, that you are in, you were going to be in office there. If things had gone your way, you would have been in office there. So, like, how could you be more involved than that? I think you're more involved than you you can even admit to yourself. I think you're, I mean, like, a, hardcore in it. It's a massive difference. There's a massive difference between the kind of emotional village and a city. Um, like, the question of whether I want it or don't want it, the question of whether I could um, learn it or that that somewhere in me I do want to be a, to be kind of um, cradled by a family, by a family of friends or a family of intimates or a, or in a, like an emotional slash actual village. Mm-hmm. It isn't whether or not I want it. It's very definitely like whether or not I am it and I am not it. It's a kind of nature. It's an emotional nature or a, um, it's some, it isn't just INFP. Mm -hmm. 
it's a um, it's like I I do feel uh, the reason I use that Western movie metaphor is I do feel like a uh, like there's a like I have a purpose like I belong in a system it's just the system doesn't see itself as including drifters and in those movies which are made by Hollywood directors, the drifter appears to come from the left and at the end of the movie, he exits to the right. But the actual human system includes drifters. It includes loners and trappers and it includes people in the center who don't belong, right? And it includes, um, it includes those guys who live on the frontier but have a happy family. Like what's their story? They're out there as far away from the town as they can get, but they have a wife and six kids and they very much feel like they want to belong. Like I have a friend who's a, uh, you know, who's known to you, who is in some ways he thinks of himself as a total loner. But he said to me the other day, I couldn't imagine watching TV without my wife. What Hmm. would be the point? You sit there and watch TV by yourself. Why would I do that? Like, I, you know, having my wife there is like essential. And I was like, Hmm, interesting. (laughs) That's, I mean, you know, one reason to have one reason to be married, but all these things that you, that you mentioned within, you know, my relationship to Seattle, like, I mean, those are just some of the things that I know about. I'm sure there's more. well, Well, there are tons more, but they are a form of drifting. Like as a rock musician, there's nothing about, there's nothing in that that suggests run for city council. When I started to, uh, when I started my campaign to run for city council, I met 10,000 new people that I would never have met before. And they didn't recognize me, right? I drifted into their pre-existing universe they all knew one another. They all recognized one another. They'd been working together from the time they were in their early 20s or teens. You know, they were active in, in high school, in politics. And out of nowhere, here, here I come with my character hat. Mm-hmm. And I spend six months like digging in, really, really digging into their universe. And at the end... I lost my election and I, I left that town to the right. Um, I didn't say, well that, you know, now I'm, I'm engaged in politics and so I'm going to run again in two years or I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to get on this person's team and become their advisor. And I mean, and that's how that world works. The assumption on the, on the part of a lot of people was that having lost my first election, I now knew how to win my next election. And my response was what I learned is I don't want to live in this town at all. Um, and that's the town of people running for elected office. It's not the town of politics and in rock and roll. There are a lot of people I, I know in some ways, like the majority of people in rock and roll who never wanted anything else. They wanted to be a guitar player from the time that they can remember. And when they 
figure out that they're not going to be rich and famous at it, they it's not that they stop being rock and roll. They figure out another way to to still be making a living as, either as a musician or in the culture somehow as a booking agent or a manager. And they don't decide like, I'm going to be a podcaster mm-hmm. or whatever else, you know, they're, um, all those places that you mention are villages within this kind of ungainly organism of a city. I see. With, and King Neptune is the, is the, in some ways, as you say, the ultimate example of a kind of comedic civic engagement but it was perfect for me because the king stands alone. You know, it's not like I joined the Seahawks cheerleaders um, <laughs> or the, you know, like I, it's not even like being on a city council, which is a, a which is a tribunal. Being a king or a mayor is to both interact with people and also to be singular. Mm. And in a, in a. That's interesting. It, in a Western film, the mayor is almost always a compromised figure. Yeah. A, um, uh, someone who is corrupt or, or an appeaser. He's, he ends up, even if he's a good mayor, he ends up being in cahoots with the bad guy because he's following the rules and the bad guy typically is exploiting the rules. Um, and so I'm not, one of the things I think I learned in running for office is I don't want to be in that system. You are one of the greatest gifts I have is the ability to at any point when my, when I get uncomfortable to raise both middle fingers and say sayonara. And you can't do that if you are a a public officer. True. You cannot say fuck this. And so you are, you are captive and domesticated. So I, I mean, I was saying to my sister the other day, running for office was a great gift I gave myself because it was, it eliminated one of the, of the Reichstag of voices in my head that was trying to judge me based on whether or not I had performed what I considered to be this duty which was to um, to hold office and represent what I considered to be a constituency in the big in the big machine. And I considered it a duty, and there was a voice in my head from a young age that said, "If you don't hold public office, you are not a full citizen, or at least if you don't contribute to that process, if you don't work, toward electing a candidate that you admire, or if you don't perform, you know, that, that amount of engagement in participatory democracy. And I did it and I was able to, for the most part, silence that voice, that member of the, of my internal, um, parliament is a backbencher now, or was, um, he was defeated in the, and some, um, some new voice took his place. And that's a, that's a gift to eliminate for me, at least to eliminate possibilities to say, to check that, 
type of thing off and say, you know what? I'm not going to be an astronaut. Let's just take that person who's taking up a chair and who in the giant melee of, of yelling legislators every once in a while stands up and says, well, what if we were an astronaut? Cause that's the only idea. I've ever had. <laughs> right. Like I can just take that person and give him his pension and hand him a, a bouquet of flowers and a, and a, a 45 year service pin and say, you know, you can retire and we'll replace you with, with a more reasonable legislator that might want to work on something, work on a, work on a collaborate on a project. Well, yeah, but I know, but what if we were an astronaut? Nope, you're out. And that, and the, and a very, very loud voice in that group was, we should be the president right? or the, the U S Senator from Alaska. And, you know, he has a big walrus mustache and a very cool sort of three piece tweed suit. And although he's not, he's still in the anteroom. I haven't pushed him out all the way into the mist. Um, I can barely hear him anymore. He's out there like, well, we should be the Senator. And I'm like, you know, we're okay. Thank you. We're in here. We're working on something. This is a committee meeting. And that's, you know, that's honestly a, um, a, a process. It's still not a plan, but I'm describing a, a process that I'm trying to I'm trying to hone and I guess trying to embrace uh, that there is a, that there's a method that if I can, I mean, that, that I, I think my, my mission is to accept it rather than to, um, it certainly, it, it, it isn't meant to conform to to other people's systems and, and it, and it belongs that way. Um, that's, it's a component of how human society advances. You put people on the fringe because they, not because they are maybe even themselves going to succeed, but because they're doing work on behalf of everybody to, you know, expand the purview uh, on behalf of everybody. And it's another example of why I think podcasting is so interesting mm. because, and why I personally felt it was so liberating or so uh, essential to my project because I was able to communicate from where I was, communicate like to the, to the town share the work I'd done. And, and if it was useful to people, then I, then I felt like maybe in some ways for the first time that, uh, that I was doing my work because coming into town, uh, with the shotgun and, and helping the sheriff out in these little moments, um, it wasn't enough or it didn't, it, it, it ended up not being my work. It was, it was something I did 
because there wasn't because I didn't have the ability and I uh, the ability to do what I really wanted to do. That's why I said at first like a compromised priest because I wanted to come back and give sermons. You know, I wanted to come back to the town and say and describe what I had found. Um, and I wasn't a conquistador. I wasn't out there trying to get gold and bring it back. It was a different thing. It was, um, it was like a, it always felt like a kind of, like practicing a kind of science. Um, people that are exploring the outer reaches of math are not doing it to get rich or to bring gold back to the queen even they're doing stuff that they just want to bring back and and share they feel they feel driven to work in the lab or work in their mind work with a pencil and a and a piece of paper and work it out we would like to thank Blue Apron. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. They achieve this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. They offer three meal plans, two-person meal plan, family meal plan, and the wine plan. Yeah, that's six bottles of wine from renowned winemakers wine delivered monthly. And uh, they've even got a Whole30 thing. You've heard, uh, you know, heard people talk about Whole30. Well, for eight weeks, ending on uh, February 26th, Blue Apron is teaming with Whole30 to bring you delicious recipes that'll fit right in there with Whole30 approved meals. So uh, go check that out too. You can learn more about all of this stuff by going to blueapron.com slash roadwork. You can check out this week's menu. Get $30 off, get free shipping, and learn all about this by going to blueapron.com slash roadwork. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So, I mean, where are you today? Where are you now? What's your, you don't have a plan, but where do you like see yourself fitting in? Are you still, are you still the drifter? Are you... Do you want to be the drifter if you forget having a plan? I mean, do you want? It's again, it's the, the use of the word want is understandable. Like I get it. I get why people say want and it's, I'm not, it's you're not, not now you, you, first you, you say you can't love and then now, or you don't, and now you're going to say you don't want. I don't want like I'm, I'm not, people always ask, you know, are you happy? What would make you happy? And I've, I've described before, like those questions don't make any sense to me at all. And it's not, and it's because I don't know what you mean. I don't know what happy means. I don't ever feel happy. I don't feel deprived. How do you know that you don't feel happy? Well, people talk about it as though they know what it means. I don't. I never think of myself and go, I'm happy. Um, it's just like saying to someone who's colorblind, like, well, how do you feel about green or whatever? Right. But like the person who 
can't see can't see certain colors they don't know that they can't see those colors until they start communicating with other people who describe it and they're like i don't know what that means they're like well you see that thing right there that's the color green and then the person who's colorblind says no that's just it's just gray i just see it as gray and they're like well there's actually another color there and what yeah, what i what i'm exactly saying is people, it, but it's very hard i think to describe an emotion to somebody who's not who has not felt it i i'm still kind of hung up on this because i feel like you you do experience it but i i think you just for whatever reason you kind of don't you don't want maybe you don't want to experience it or you it's not don't about one. it's it's really not i mean i think that i think colorblindness is analogous like i like a colorblind person does not deny the existence of green right but they i think if you asked a person who who was colorblind if you said to them we we can see this other color would you like to see the other color too i i'm not sure but i would imagine that they would say yes i knew somebody who was colorblind and I asked them, I said, do you kind of want to see these other colors? And they said, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, this is kind of my whole experience. So I don't really know what I'm missing, but I understand there's another color, but I can't really imagine that. But well, see, but, then they came but, out with these but, glasses recently. But Dan, what, what you're, I mean, you're, you're using the word want again. Yes. And I have never a single time in my life or in this conversation ever said that I don't want to experience love or that I don't want to be happy. Mm -hmm. If you said to me, I have a new pair of glasses that will allow you to experience love, I would say, fuck yeah. I mean, the pain that I felt as a young person was not because I intentionally denied myself right. these things. It was based on the fact that I'd spent my whole life. I mean, think about the importance of the color green to the world. Yeah. You couldn't, it's very difficult to live in a world where you can't tell green from blue. Uh, people compensate, they learn. And there are places like as an, as a army sniper where that's considered an advantage. Um, there are places where colorblind people have a, have a leg up, but this is a kind of emotional colorblindness that, I didn't realize I couldn't see green for years when I was a kid and I would go to the movies and and the violins would soar and the people would, uh, would kiss and the credits would roll. I felt I was moved. I wanted that. Um, and so this process has been learning these things about myself. Like I'm not talking about this stuff as a template that I'm trying to achieve. Sure. These are all just descriptions of a thing that of, of learning about myself, a thing and by learning it, I was able to stop suffering. Yes. You know, like I don't naturally complain about stuff. Mm -hmm. I talk about all this stuff. But I'm not somebody that comes home and goes, oh, today sucked. Right. Or why doesn't anything ever work out? Or I'm so upset. Or, you know, that's none of that. I don't bitch because I don't feel things that way. I don't feel, I mean, 
other drivers drive me crazy because that's like a video game that's being played so poorly by people. But beyond like the experience of driving in a town and going, God, for the love of God, that's not how you merge. I don't have a, and that's just a conversation I'm having with the windshield. Otherwise I don't really sit and I don't sit and bitch because I don't feel those feelings. I don't feel like I'm being, um, that there, that there's a result that I'm looking for. But it's not, it's not ever that there's a, like, do I, do I want happiness? Yes, I think, given how much people praise it. <laughs> when, when people say, like, happiness is so amazing, I go, oh, sure, that sounds like, I, that sounds like a, like, you mean, like, when a food is good? No, it's even better. It's like all food is better. Sure, I want a thing that makes all food is better. Right. I mean, I'm kind of, I, 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 I fall short of being a super taster, but I am an intense taster and smeller. Like I can discern small smells and taste small tastes. But I don't, but that has not made me rarefied. I don't seek out tiny flavors. I don't sit and say like, it's the faintest flavor of violet. And that's all I can bear because a Seven Eleven chili dog is an assault to the senses. You know, my approach to it is like, yeah, Seven Eleven chili dog is an assault to the senses. Um, why would you deprive yourself of, of that? Why would you deprive yourself of the smell of death that hovers around a Seven Eleven chili dog? It's, you, you never feel so alive. Um, and that is a different relationship, I think, to experience than to say, I want things to, you know, I'm capable of seeing things, of seeing like gradients of niceness and beauty and sensitivity. And so I don't want things that are coarse and gross. Yeah. I, and I've never felt that way. It's like, yeah, this is gross and that is delicate. And if each day could have both things, it would feel like a fuller day. But it doesn't equate to whatever this happiness is. 